Welcome to HR and Cocktails, brought to you by Prescott HR, home of unintimidated HR. The show for business owners and executives to learn more about all aspects of human resources with your host, Kimberly Prescott. And welcome to this episode of HR and Cocktails. Uh, today we have with us Jimmy Iannuzzi from InTech Workforce. Um, Jimmy, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Kimberly, I'm doing great today. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So our topic today is going to be about using staffing agencies and the benefits of staffing agencies and how organizations can leverage them to um, assist in augmenting their workforce. And, you know, with every with the great resignation, everyone having challenges with hiring, I think this is a very timely topic to talk to organizations about um, so that we can really understand how can these organizations get talent in the door? How is this working? So I guess the first thing that I want to ask, Jimmy, is what is a staffing agency? Excellent. Yeah, great, great question to get us started. So a staffing agency is an organization that focuses exclusively on identifying talent for various organizations. Um, in so many companies, talent acquisition is a function of human resources, uh, but they wear many hats, as we know, um, in human resources. And so for us, this is your way of outsourcing the staffing component, the sourcing and screening of candidates um, where we have a focused mission to place candidates with you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's important for people to know. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the main benefits of using a staffing agency, but can you talk to me about the types of services that a staffing agency offers? Because some people think about, you know, it's interesting. I think you and I are both um, relatively, um, have been around relatively the same amount of time. Um, and we remember when they were called temp agencies and all these other things. And so, you know, when you think about it through that context, you kind of think, you know, well, well, it's just temp. So it's just, you know, if I want somebody right. for, you know, a week or two, or just because, you know, somebody's out on leave. So can you talk about the different types of services that a staffing agency offers so people can understand? Yeah, that's that's great. So um, I'll start with what you mentioned. You know, the temp agencies. Um, these are these have been around for a long time, and these are more where a company says, "Oh my goodness, somebody called out today. I need a front receptionist, or I need an HVAC technician for the day, or the like." And organizations have a talent pool of of ready to go, ready to work um, contractors that can be put on assignment for a day, a week, two weeks, whatever the case may be. Typically in that model, there's no client level screening um, or the like. They're just, they'll call up their contact and say, hey, I need X number of folks today in this office. And then the uh, agency will assign them. Um, beyond that, there is a service called staff augmentation or contingent labor, which I see as a an extension or uh, an expansion of the temp agency model. And this is really where Entech um, drives a lot of our business. Um, whereas you need a worker for more than a day or a week or the like, this is a longer term engagement to augment your staff, staff augmentation. Um, you may be working on a project, you may just be in a really busy mode or the like. And typically these um, workers last from six months to two or three years 
Um, and they work as an employee of the staffing agency. So the staffing agency will pay them, uh, will administer their benefits, um, their payroll, of, of course, um, and just provide general coaching, back office support, whatever is needed. Whereas the what I call the host client is there to you know provide the work and and use that resource to help them get over the hump, whatever project or period of time they're going through. Um, so that's a big one. Again, it's it's like temp talent, but in a much broader and long-term scale. Um, then there's also the direct hire route, which I think uh, for many years, even still, maybe called headhunting. Um, this is where you have a need at your organization. You want them to be an employee of your organization on day one, but you need help identifying talent for that engagement. So in that case, you know, a company like Entech would go out perform a lot of the same upfront sourcing, screening, interviewing, et cetera. Uh, but then when the hiring decision is made, it gets turned over to our client. In that case, then they can hire them and then they're administering their benefits and the like. Um, there are benefits, pros and cons of both sides and decisions that need to be made there. But then there's also a few other you know, ancillary services that uh, staffing companies can offer as well. Um, you know, payrolling, for example. Um, this is very popular when in, uh, there is a client that has a strong referral network um, within their internal staff, whereas they may pre-identify a candidate they want to fill for a temporary role. Well, they don't need you know, the staffing agency or EdTech to necessarily source the talent. However, the nature of this agreement is contractual. They're not bringing them on as a full-time employee. So the agency can then uh, put this individual on our payroll, um, administer their benefits, all of the same, um, you know, the essence of what I said earlier around contingent labor. However, um, it's at a smaller markup because we are not sourcing or identifying the candidate. So it's like a pass-through payroll kind of arrangement there. Um, and then lastly, one other uh, area that, that we have worked on as a service is, um, especially in this contract contingent labor market, is uh, providing workforce development programs uh, for clients, whereas we will be able to identify candidates for entry-level roles um, and then over you know, a three or five-year period in partnership with our client, work to develop those the skill sets of that entry-level worker into an advanced specialized skill. This is a program we call Level Up, but it is a workforce development uh, program um, that we've been working on that a staffing agency can provide for you as well. And I definitely appreciate that. I think that many um, of our listeners may not know the breadth of services that are available right. from a staffing agency. But let me say this. I forgot to ask you to tell us about your company. So tell oh. us. <laughs> yeah, thank <laughs> you. We're, we're just right workforce. down to business here. I love I it. Uh, that's okay. I think uh, we, we both love, <laughs> love HR. And I know. I was, I was so excited to talk to you. Yeah. So tell us about Intech's um, workforce really quickly. Absolutely. So Intech Workforce, um, we are a recruiting staffing company based in Howard County. Um, so uh, we share a county together here. Um, we've been around since 2005, started by Sergit Sengupta and uh, Sridhar Kunadi, our late co-founder, um, who still inspires us to this day at Entech. And so um, for us, we started more of like IT consulting, SOW work with Sergit Sridhar just being, you know, just incredible uh, technical consultants. 
And that morphed over the years into this staffing model. Um, for us, it's been great. I mean, we really started at IT recruiting and staffing, um, but have slowly but surely branched out into um, business professional and operations type roles, admin clerical. Um, we do a lot of call center um, recruiting uh, for our clients in the DMV. Um, and then of course, we picked up direct hire, which um, has become more popular um, over the last few years. Um, the payrolling and password, I imagined, and like I said, the level up uh, uh, program. You know, I think the big thing about NTech is just we're very community driven, uh, compassionate organization. Um, community compassion are, are, are key values of NTech. Um, Surgit, uh, who you know, um, is just very active in the community, and that flows down to the rest of um, staff at NTech. Uh, we just really enjoy our role in the hiring process. And, and we look at, yes, we're a business for profit. We're, we're looking to grow, but we also consistently look for ways that um, we can use our expertise in this arena to help our communities as well. Um, that was the foundation of Level Up, this workforce development program. Um, and it, it drives a lot of the decisions we have uh, going forward. So that's a little bit about NTech. There's so much. I've been at NTech for almost 10 years, 10 years this June. So I could go on and on, but that's a high level overview of where we are. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And um, yes, you know, NTech is definitely embedded in the Howard County community. Um, I want to go back really quickly to sure. something that you said and kind of, you know, give the um, 101 level um, discussion about it. You said that the staffing agency is responsible for giving some of the performance coaching yeah. to the employee. So that brings us to our favorite topic, co-employment. Oh my goodness, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So because many times when you hear organizations, they say, well, you know, I don't want to, so let's say the host organization, I yeah, actually like yeah. that. Although it makes me think of a, some type of symbiotic relationship in the wild, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I pull host uh -huh. client from SIA staffing industry analysts. Uh, that is their term in the CCWP coursework. So uh, it's kind okay. of stuck with me, but I agree. It's, it, it's a very uh, interesting uh, nomenclature there. It is. It is. So I think that many times the host organization feels that if they give any direction at all, and if they say anything to the person at all, not that, you know, having them come in, sit down at the desk and do the work is not enough, but they feel that if they say anything to that person, then all of a sudden in that moment, co-employment happens. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. can we really um, debunk the myths about what co-employment is and kind of give, again, a one-on-one level sure. um, um, discuss discussion about what co-employment actually is? I love, love this discussion because I look at co-employment as the big boogeyman out there in staffing. Um, it is very misunderstood. Um, but let's start by saying very clearly upfront, the second an employee of another organization comes in and begins working on tasks, assignments, et cetera, with a host client, co-employment has been established. Okay, one more time, Jimmy. Say that one more time sure. so that we can make sure that people are clear. It's, yeah. it's not at the but, moment that someone says something to them. It's when? It's it's the moment they begin working on a task, an assignment, any sort of client work, a co-employment relationship is established. Uh, and, you know, for us, we talk to our clients about this all the time because there are so many restrictions that get put in place to try and eliminate co-employment. 
we cannot eliminate co-employment in this relationship. I've used the analogy, uh, the, the contemporary analogy uh, about our response to COVID um, over the last couple of years. At first, you know, when co-employment came up and when COVID-19 came out to the picture, the strategy was let's eliminate it. Let's eradicate this, this, this uh, COVID-19. Let's eradicate co-employment. And then over time, as we started living with it, we realized that while a worthy aim, it's not going to be possible. So what we need to do is take measures to reduce our exposure um, to co-employment to COVID. So that was my contemporary example working with the times here. You know, with COVID-19, we, we have vaccines, we have masks, there were social distancing. There's all these measures we took to try and reduce the exposure to COVID-19. And co-employment, there are a number of factors we can take to reduce our exposure. However, co-employment is not going away. The second that relationship is established, um, co-employment exists. Um, so there's a, you know, for those out there who are so inclined, look up uh, the Darden factors. This is a Department of Labor uh, site you can look at. There are, I think, 12, maybe maybe a few more now, uh, 12 Darden factors that uh, look at what establishes co-employment. So, you know, what I always tell our clients is there's not a silver bullet. You look at the factors, there's no rule that says if you have three or fewer uh, factors, co-employment doesn't exist. No, it exists. But it's about looking at all of those factors and identifying, okay, what can we do to reduce our exposure? Um, what can we do uh, to make sure that our co-employment is as basic as it can be? Um, and this is where um, a lot of clients turn to us to perform um, employee coaching um, for, our, for our folks. Um, they look to us um, to you know, give upskill them on certain areas. They do not have any discussions about wages with, with the workers. So there are things you can do, but at the end of the day, co-employment exists, period, the end. Um, and it's really, it's really um, about living with it and making sure that you know, at the end of the day that the workers feel valued. Uh, co-employment becomes a problem when there is an issue at the work site. If the workers are feeling valued and happy and you know, you're, you're doing the right things, Co-employment doesn't really uh, bear its head um, at, at that point. So um, again, I could go on. I mean, there's so many things that clients do, such as tenure limits to try and, you know, reduce exposure, um, you know, to uh, the aforementioned, they'll not invite contingent workers to holiday parties and the like. And um, frankly, it's a little frustrating, I think, on my end, because co-employment exists. We're just we're putting up walls for the sake of putting up walls, which is unfortunate um, when you want a really inclusive workforce. Yes, I, I agree 100%. And I really, really like that um, answer in that um, those examples. And I'll also say that with co-employment, to your point, it doesn't become a problem unless the employees are unhappy. And some of the ways that you can mitigate that is for the host relationship to have an ongoing communication with the staffing agency yeah. to talk about things before it becomes an issue, to talk about things so that we can work together. So I kind of liken it. I, all of my examples have to do with children, okay? Yeah. Because I do feel that to some extent, the same strategies that you have to use when you're managing your children um, are the same once you have to employ in the workplace and not to say that employees are children right, all of right. them are not um, many of them are adults but what i'll say is it's very similar to when your child is in school if your child is in school and they're having challenges in order to work together the parents 
the teacher is and the administration all have to work together to create strategies to help your child become successful. The same thing in the staffing relationship. If there's an issue with the employee, the staffing agency and the host agency have to work together to resolve the issue. And then it becomes less of a challenge from a co-employment situation. So I really appreciate your answer. Yeah. And and so to just one other point to follow up on it, and I would encourage this to any listener that has contingent workers, I think all too often we fall into this trap of communicating with the staffing agency, i.e. the employer, when there's bad news. And I, you know, it's just the nature of it. You know, if if things are going well, we just put our blinders on and go. But that's a really powerful technique for drawing engagement um, with the employee because that's what I want with all of our contingent workers. We want a strong engagement to sort of codify this relationship as employee and employer. When it's bad news, yes, that that creates that sense of yes, you're an end tech employee. But the good news also helps drive that relationship, and it helps the client as well because we are repeating repeating this process of engagement and communication, the good, the bad, the indifferent. And so they know they're an employee of the staffing agency. So don't just call when there's bad news. Let us know when there's a big win or a cause to celebrate. Yes, that's that's an excellent point. Excellent point. Um, I also want to go back where you talked about how the staffing agency is the employer. So for yes. me, that indicates that those individuals are W-2 employees of the staffing agency. I think sometimes there's also some misconception around the employment status of these individuals because some organizations, even staffing agencies, call them contractors or contract employees, right? right? But they are employees. They're not 1099s, correct? That is correct. And mm-hmm. um, if you look and you you do some research into independent contractor compliance, the nature of a contingent worker or a contractor, as it, as it were, will almost, almost never meet the standards of a 1099. As a business strategy at NTech, we actually do not allow for 1099 independent consultants to be placed with our clients in a temporary labor role. There are so many rules around um, telling them when or when they can't work, what to wear to work. You know, independent contractors are truly um, outcome-driven, milestone-driven, and so the, it's it's fairly incongruent with the contract labor model to use an independent consultant. So yes, to your point, to drive it home, when we place folks, we are looking primarily at our W two employees. They will be they will get a year end tax form from NTech. Um, you know, we are not engaging in that 1099 model. Um, my best advice is if you need a 1099 to, to engage with uh, your, your human resource department or procurement, whoever handles those types of requests, um, because it is not best practice, in my opinion, to utilize ICs for temporary labor. Yes, yes, yes. And I just think it's important to note that because I do think that organizations internally and when they engage external organizations, even organizations like mine, they're not clear as it relates to the status of the individuals that will be supporting them. I think it's important to note that, yes, we casually use the word, you know, contract employee, um, but really they are employees, right? A hundred percent. And the best way I can describe (laughs) it is, you know, whether it's NTech or Prescott HR, we are the contractor 
to the yes. organization. Um, we are a professional services organization. Uh, we are the contractor. The folks we place are employees um, uh, and, and to help perform some of the work you need um, or some milestones you need. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked um, about some of the different services um, that um, staffing or organizations can provide. And, and we've kind of glossed over a little bit what some of the benefits are, but what are some of the benefits of using a staffing agency? Absolutely. That's uh, a great question and, and something we get asked a lot, especially now. You mentioned the great resignation at the top. There's also what's causing uh, some strife in the hiring world is the great retirement. Um, we are seeing uh, a lot of folks leave the workforce. And so, you know, not only do we have folks leaving jobs, we have a, a reduction in the available talent pool. Uh, COVID-19, frankly, has driven a lot of retirements, um, you know, from folks who have been displaced in the work over the last two years. Um, so benefits of working with a staffing company, especially right now where talent is in demand, typical like in-house strategies to recruit talent, which I refer to as post and pray methods, where you post a job and, and pray and hope that the right candidate finds you, um, is not necessarily working right now. Um, we need, you know, at, at the benefits of working with a staffing agency is we will go out and make a concerted uh, effort to search and find candidates. We are, yes, we, we use postings as part of our strategy, but we are out there looking for candidates that align with your needs. We've we've established what you need in you know soft skills, hard skills, and the like. And we're able to go out there and truly search out there um, in the market. Um, we are reaching folks that sometimes won't apply. They're what we call passive candidates. These folks may never apply to a job, but if you reach them with an opportunity, they'll listen. So that's a big benefit. Um, we're out there actively sourcing and curating candidates versus posting and, and hoping that the right one comes finds our posting. But beyond that, there's a, there's a tremendous hard and soft cost savings to using a staffing firm. Um, the hard costs such as posting a job on whether it's LinkedIn, Indeed, other job boards, um, you the soft and indirect cost of combing through resumes, screening them, shortlisting them, that's time that your HR team or a function of HR team is not spending on the, the needs of the moment. Um, and it can be a, an arduous process to get through a lot of responses. Um, but beyond that, to engage with a staffing firm, um, there is no retainer cost. Um, we, don't, we don't charge a monthly fee. There are some models that, that, uh, that exist in. A lot of headhunting for high-level positions will engage in a retainer. But for the vast majority of your workforce, for what we're doing, we're not engaging in a retainer. We, as a staffing supplier, get paid when you select someone. So it's, there's a, a very low-risk proposition to utilizing a staffing firm. Not a lot of friction, to, as I like to say, towards it. Um, but it also can eliminate some other costs if you go the contingent labor route. Um, we are administering payroll, uh, which is a cost that we have dedicated human resources representatives to handle, um, you know, whether it's a benefits issue or somebody's having a bad day, you know, those sorts of uh, uh, discussions that happen with any employee. Um, and then beyond that, we pay SUDA and FUDA, uh, state and federal unemployment taxes. Um, we process unemployment claims and the like. Um, so there's a lot of back end um, cost that's associated with making a hire um, that I think people forget about when they're thinking about, oh, I need to make a hire. I've got a salary budget. But then there's this time spent 
and human resources. You may, as your company grows, you may need to expand your HR team to accommodate that. If you're using contingent labor, um, you have an entire agency to support those workers. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I've read recently upwards of 40% of the workforce um, is a contingent worker at this point. So it's a growing segment. Um, it's very popular. It can save a lot of hard costs, but it can also make your hiring faster um, when you think about it. Yeah, and I, and I would also think that it would help them identify a quality hire a little bit faster because you're going to look at the job description, you're going to look at the compensation, and you're going to know what the market is demanding as far as candidates are concerned because I think a lot of what we're seeing and. I think that many employers and, and hiring managers have gotten very cynical during mm -hmm. this great resignation, but I like the fact that you call it the great retirement. Some people are even calling it the great reshuffling because at yeah. the end of the day, the people, the workforce is there with the exception of the people who are 50 and over people, 50 and over that segment is exiting the workforce altogether. Yeah. Everyone else is just moving around and trying to figure it out, yeah. right? Yeah. They're not gone. They're right. there. We just got to find them and give them the value proposition to come and work for you, right? Um, but I would also say um, that, um, you know, really thinking about compensation mm -hmm. is very important. And I am definitely right now not a proponent of offer everybody the sun and the moon because that's not sustainable and the market is not going to continue to command that long term. Um, what are your what are you seeing in, um, with that with regard to what your clients are doing and some of the recommendations that you're making? Absolutely. That's a it's a great question. And I think right now, as you alluded to, a lot of companies are just throwing money at the problem right now, but that doesn't help you long-term. What we've been talking with our clients about is better defining your job description and the purpose of each role. Why does this role matter at your company? This is something that I found candidates are really driven to. If you just have responsibilities and required skills, and maybe a little blur about your company, that's great. But if, if folks are looking to move and make a jump right now, Yes, financial factors are a decision, but uh, candidates really want to know the problem they're solving, why this job matters, how do I fit into the greater team structure? And I've seen where we have clients in job descriptions that give that narrative, candidates are much more willing to apply. And then you can have, you know, an honest conversation about compensation, benefits, and perks. Um, you know, it is interesting, you know, the market is going up in, in demand for talent. But I think companies need to stay disciplined as well around what they're looking at. I was talking to uh, a realtor friend of mine who was talking about um, the price of, of, of houses and the concern he has for buyers who are, say, buying a house that maybe is valued two years ago at $300,000 but paying $450,000 for it. And then in a few years, that it'll be valued back down again. And so, yes, while companies need to be conscious of rising wages and keeping up. I mean, that let's be honest, wages are going up and companies, if you're gonna bury your head in the sand and keep to the same level you were before, you're gonna have a hard time attracting talent. But there's a middle ground. You don't have to, like you said, they're the, the, the sun, the stars and the moon at, uh, at everybody. I think it's, you know, there's part of it, 
but you also have to create a value proposition about why your company is good to work for. What values are you looking out of your employees? What expectations do you have? How are they problem solving? How can they progress in a career pathway with your organization? It's so much more than dollars and cents. But let's not ignore it. I mean, it is a factor. Um, it is something that that we have to be conscious of. And, and if you kept your same taxonomy and rate cards as you had a couple of years ago, you might get left out of the talent market. Um, so you have to go with the times. But you also have to be disciplined and understand, you know, soul search. What makes your company great to work for? Um, why would companies be there and package that and let candidates understand it? One thing I'll, I'll just finish with here is something that I've always done at NTech. Um, when I interview candidates for us internally to join our home office team, as I like to call it, um, treat your candidates in the way that they want to be treated. These candidates are interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them. Show them Absolutely. the respect and the time. At NTech, I always start my interview with allowing the candidates to ask questions first. I do this because I respect their time. I understand they're interviewing us just as we are interviewing them. And I found a, a, a disturbing trend maybe where candidates just, the questions they get, they get thrown at the end and you run out of time. And you know how, are, how is that candidate gonna feel really good about pursuing an opportunity with your organization if they haven't had all their questions answered? So I always start up front. I let candidates ask the questions, drive the conversation. If I need more time at the end of, uh, to get through my questions, we can always schedule a follow-up, but I want candidates to know we value their time and that you know they can have all their questions answered right away. They're not an afterthought in this process. Well, um, Professor Iannuzzi, you are taking us to school today. I definitely <laughs> appreciate this. Um, and um, I agree. It is something that I also say all the time, and particularly in this market, because there's, um, I think the last number that I read, 1.6 jobs available for every person, right? Um, yeah. That's yeah. looking for a job. So they are absolutely interviewing you. Um, yeah. So I absolutely appreciate you highlighting that. Um, so as we think about um, you know, we've kind of talked about the staffing agencies and talked about the, you know, what that looks like, but what are some common misconceptions that you um, have heard or you think are out there in the marketplace about using, um, well, so we won't call them temporary employees because yeah. that's a little bit different, right? Yeah. Um, contingent labor um, um, or, you know, staff aug employees. Um, what are some of the common misconceptions that you think are out there? That's a great question. I think first and foremost, people think it's just really expensive to use. Um, and we've touched on that earlier I won't go through and, and kind of give every reason, but you know there are so many ways using a, a contingent worker um, can save you money in the long run. I think folks see a, a get maybe perhaps sticker shock at a billable rate that they have to pay for each hour. They're like, wow, that's a lot more than maybe I would pay per hour for the employee. But you, you really have to go back and itemize your cost, hard cost and soft costs uh, uh, or indirect costs of employing someone or doing the search yourself. Uh, frankly, um, if you're looking at direct hire. So I think that's a big one. People think it's more expensive. There's a reason Fortune 500 companies have had mega uh, contingent labor programs. These are publicly traded organizations that have, you know, upwards of two, $300 million a year in contingent labor spend. You know, they've done a lot of analysis that shows it's saving them money in the long haul. And so um, that's one thing I would um 
I would consider uh, or, or point out. And then the other, and we, we touched on this a little bit too, it's that, you know, once the worker's hired, you know, that's it. Um, I think that all too often that sort of, we think of this as a transactional relationship with the staffing supplier. Um, the best relationships work when there's real partnership. You talked about this earlier around, you know, reaching out and, and, and to the company. And, and like you said, with the school example, you know, where teacher, uh, parent, student, administration is all on the same page. Um, we're there to support you after the hire, before the hire. Um, you, you would not believe how many conversations I've had with folks where they're like, we want to make this hire. And then we'll talk and we'll talk before and we'll help strategize around. Well, does this make sense as a direct hire? Well, why don't you maybe try contract to hire? Or honestly, you've got the candidate already. Let's just do a payroll. So we're there to provide counsel ahead of time, but then also ongoing support for the assignment after. I think we got into this mindset where it's, it's like I said, it's transactional. You need someone, we provide someone, case closed. That's not it. This is an ongoing long-term partnership. Um, and I think um, those are the best outcomes we have. And so I, I implore folks to think a little bit more about the agencies they work with, making sure they're partnership driven, that you, they are offering counsel. You know, we Our aim is to be a trusted advisor uh, for our clients, not just to make one placement here and there, I say this all the time, nobody in staffing is getting rich off of one placement. That's not how it works. We are there to build a partnership over the long haul and advise and provide counsel on your hiring decisions. Um, this is our expertise. You know, In an economy of specialization, this is our specialty to really understand the hiring demands, the talent marketplace. And, and I definitely appreciate that. And I think that you know, it speaks to, um, you know, what you talked about earlier, which is being consultative. In order to build long-term relationships, you have to get to understand the needs of your client and offer consultative solutions. So I absolutely um, agree with that philosophy and that approach. You know, what about the fact that sometimes people think that temporary employees are people who just can't keep a job? So they go to um, <laughs> they just yeah. go to a staffing agency because they just can't keep a job. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I couldn't disagree more. I think uh, it's really interesting. First, I always uh, like to point out, take a look at your full time employees, uh, your team and look at the resumes. How long have they been at certain jobs that weren't contract or temporary. It's typically two to three years in today's world. There's nothing, we don't we don't blink at that if they were working as a full-time employee. But for some reason, when you see a person who's got a lot of uh, contingent labor, contract labor type uh, uh, roles, that sort of thought of, oh, they're a job hopper comes up. Well, that it's not the case. You know, I, uh, people change jobs all the time. And I think there are the folks who look at uh, a staffing agency, candidates rather, you know, there's a couple reasons why they do it. And they're all very good reasons. One, first and foremost, and I, th this could be a whole other conversation, that generally speaking, the hiring process for internal hires on, on the client side is slow. Um, if I poll 100 candidates and, and, and they talk about their experience with um, making an internal hire or trying to work at a big company, they will say it's a slow process. The wheels churn slowly. With a staffing company, we can place you pretty quickly. All of these programs pretty much have like 30 days, like open to filled metrics, you know, and that includes the onboarding process. And, and that's just not typical when you look at a full-time hire. So candidates who are looking to get into the workforce fast, look at staffing companies. 
but also there are, there are folks out there who are just inquisitive uh, to be able to work with an array of different clients and gain different experiences in different industries can look at a staffing organization. Um, just Entech, we work with uh, folks in healthcare and energy and finance. Um, there, there's a common thread of job that goes through all of those. So maybe a candidate just wants to work in different industries and expose themselves to something new. Um, so these are just some of the reasons. And, and, you know, a lot of these contingent labor roles are there to solve a problem. Back to what I was saying earlier. When you think about staff augmentation, it is there to augment your staff for a specific reason. And so these candidates are very mission driven around the work that they do as well. And so you know, those are just a few reasons why when I speak to candidates, you know, they are, they're interested, we can move fast, you can get an array of experience um, across different industries. Um, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're solving a problem as the nature of your role. It's not just a, say, a staff accountant, you're there actually, oh, we are say over overhauling our accounting function and maybe new process. That's an exciting project. And so candidates can come in and help solve that specific problem. So, you know, we, I could go on. There's a lot of different uh, reasons, but um, it's not just because they need to job hop or can't find another job. It's there's real legitimate reasons why candidates seek a staffing organization. Yep, absolutely. And I definitely appreciate that because I do think that sometimes organizations are hesitant to reach out to staffing firms because they feel that they're just going to get someone subpar that can't keep a job right. and that that's not the, that's not the reality. And can you talk a little bit um, just to further that point and drive it home? Um, can you talk about your process for how you vet people that you rep that you present to clients? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question and something I was actually going to seek to follow up on, because to your point, I'll, I'll start kind of at the tail end of the process and work our way uh, backwards. You know, you they talk about uh, companies who are concerned that they're maybe getting a subpar employee. Um, we are we are doing background checks um, with all these candidates. We're doing employment verification if the client is feels that is important. Um, we are conducting um, reference checks if the client, you know, uh, desires that. Our background process is driven by our clients. We have a base level that we look for at Entech for employees, but from there we create what we call them packages, custom packages for onboarding. And so, if if clients have a concern about something around someone's background, we can fold that into our background check process. Now, I will say there are some fallacies around making your background check extremely expansive. You know, if it's a longer process, you may experience some drop off or attrition in the onboarding phase. But nonetheless, we perform that as well. Um, but to take it back to the start now, first, we, we review a candidate's resume. Um, we're looking through and we have, uh, you know, a screening or an interview with that candidate where we are talking about their experience generally, what they're looking for in a job, but then also we're, we're asking questions and interviewing them as a more of a pre-interview around the skills our client needs. And, you know, we, if, if you need Excel for experience, we'll, we'll ask situational questions about where they've used Excel, what functions you've used, um, and, and seek some examples. So we're vetting that up front. Then oftentimes we'll uh, leverage uh, a technology solution. We use SHL Talent, Cent uh, Talent Central and Glider AI uh, to provide uh, a technical assessment. This could be for customer service where it's like call center scenarios, or it could be a, a Java development coding exercise. Um, we can do all of those and everything in between and side to side. Um, and then from there, we're then presenting the candidate um, uh, over to the client and we're shortlisting our, our, our candidates. 
So um, there's a lot of legwork that goes in before you even see a candidate. Um, they've been screened by a recruiter. Sometimes they've taken an assessment. Um, they've, they've been made aware of expectation of the role, the culture of the company, the values, all of these things that we know are important to candidates. So we know that they're a fit um, uh, before they even get to you. And then from there, once selected, we do an expansive background check as well. Yeah, thank you. I think it's important for um, for our listeners to understand that, that you're not just everyone that applies that I'm interested in this job. You're like, okay, that's great. Let yeah. me send you over to our client because, you know, that's not a good representation of you and your organization, of course, mm-hmm. um, but also to hopefully allay the concern that there may be um, challenges or even gaps with the individuals that come from a staffing agency. So Jimmy, yes. we've talked about a lot of things, okay? And yeah. you have really given our listeners a lot of things to consider and given us a lot of gems that we can walk away with. Is there anything else that we should know? Yeah, I mean, I think really right now, um, for everybody looking to engage talent, I think it's important for to take a holistic view, take a step back, you know, take a step up, whatever your terminology is in-house and see the way you're bringing resources in. What does your talent pipeline look like right now? Is it job postings that you're feeding through? Um, But right, you know, or or is it something more? I think we all need to take stock in what we're doing and reimagine this a little bit more. You said that the statistic there are like 1.6 openings for everybody out there who wants a job. we need to understand how we're engaging talent and we need to be a little bit more thoughtful about it. Um, we need to be deliberate. When we're procuring us a, a system, for example, if you're deciding between Microsoft Office or a Google Workspace, you know, you're gonna do your homework and you're gonna dive in and you're gonna have different sourcing strategies for that. We need to consider hiring a folks, a sourcing strategy, a procurement effort as well. It's a partnership really between a procurement side and an HR side, but that's what we're looking to do. We're creating a talent pipeline. And so I encourage everybody to think outside the box, ask yourself, is this working? Is the speed working? What are the pain points? And then perhaps seeking a specialized you know, organization to help you with that. Um, it's just, it's t- this whole industry is being disrupted. Um, and I think it's time we all take stock in our processes and see if there's a better way forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jimmy. So one final question that we have, and this is the one that our listeners appreciate the absolute most. After you have helped organizations really get their recruitment strategy and re-imaging, every time I hear the word re-imaging, I'll be honest with you, I think about Disney. But <laughs> after, <laughs> after they've reimagined um, what their staffing function should look like, after you've done all those things, what is in your glass? Oh, all right. Mine is a Boulevardier. Uh, so ah. a classic, a classic cocktail. Um, that's out there. It's, it's very simple to make. The classic recipe is a one-to-one-to-one of uh, bourbon or rye. I, I typically like rye, um, vermouth, and Campari. So it's going to have a little bitterness. If you're using bourbon, it bounces a little sweetness, but it's a great drink and uh, a fun party trick. It is garnished with an orange. A fun party trick is if you peel your orange slice, and uh, kind of light the back of it and squeeze. Some of the zest will come off, and you get a nice little uh, spark there. It's a, it's that's my little party trick, but that's my my go to cocktail as a Boulevardier. 
I love it. And so I um, love one as well. I will tell you that I also like rye for mine. I love um, actually Sagamore to make yeah. mine with. And um, and you definitely have to have the correct glass where you need a coupe glass. Need a coupe. Or, need a coupe. Need a coupe. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, interestingly, because vermouth and Campari, uh, I um, I had a, I, I'm a part of a group and I rewrote this cocktail handbook. And so it was different cocktails and it basically went across the life cycle of an employee. So it's a different cocktail for each part. And so I did include that in there. And That's that great. one's called the difficult conversation because it's not for everybody. Yeah, it's I not for that. everyone. You need to have it. It's yeah. not for, but, but, but you got to be ready for it. So I love a Boulevardier as yeah. well. So we will definitely make one and post it. So thank it. you so much. Yes. And I will so, say the last thing on the Boulevardier, it's very versatile. Uh, if you use gin, this is your Negroni. Um, but also I've been seeing lately, which is fun for me. I really enjoy mezcal. You can replace your bourbon with mezcal as well and have a really nice smoky uh, cocktail as well. So a Boulevardier yeah, is my first choice of the, of the, of the yeah. family here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say um, the one with mezcal would be a very difficult conversation for me because <laughs> I'm not actually it might be. a mezcal. Yeah. I'm not a mezcal fan. Uh, but there are definitely people who are. So I like the variations as well. So yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us today. I've really appreciated this conversation. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. It's always fun to chat with you. And, um, you know, I'm happy to do it again. This was awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening to this episode of HR on Cocktails. And we will talk to you next month. Thank you for joining us this month on HR and Cocktails. Please make sure to visit our website at www.prescotthr.com where you can subscribe to the show. And while you're at it, if you're interested in learning more about our consulting services, please complete the contact form on the website. And don't forget to tell a friend about Prescott HR, home of unintimidated HR. <laughs>